Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Ben Weber, CEO of Humanize, discusses what the data says about gender at work. My name is Steve Binder, a member of CNG faculty. I teach the SLCR class on change leadership. Please introduce Ben Weber, his CEO and founder of Humanize, and the topic is the data on gender at work. My name is Ben Weber. Uh, again, I run a company called Humanize. And just to give you a little bit of background about what we do and, and really what um, my PhD research was on, which is where the, the company spun off of, um, at a high level what we do is uh, collect data about how people interact and collaborate at work using things like email, chat, meeting data, um, but also sensor data to really understand at a quantitative level like what goes on within companies because people don't know those things. And it's really fascinating to me that, um, you know, really I can go to pretty much any company in the world and ask really basic questions about what goes on internally that they can't answer, right? Like how much does management uh, talk to the engineering team, right? Nobody knows. Um, even how many hours people work. Right? And you think about how simple those questions are, how critical they are, right? And the reason people can't answer them is they don't have data. Now, we might use surveys, we might use human observers. It's not to say that data is useless, but I think we all understand the problems, right? Sunny today. If I ask you certain questions on a survey, you'd answer differently than yesterday when it was cloudy. Right? You know, at the same time, even if I had people, you know, consultants follow folks around the entire day, right? still subjective observation. At the same time, if I have thousands or tens of thousands of employees, I can't possibly get data on what's going on at every single day. And I think this is particularly interesting when it comes to things like diversity and inclusion, right? where um, there's a lot of anecdotes about different things that happen, and, and I personally just hate using anecdotes to make large-scale policy decisions, right? Um, there's just basic questions that I think we have about how work gets done, right? And by using that data, we can start to get at things like looking at, like, are there differences between how men and women work? Um, and actually, I would just preface this by saying if there are differences in classes of behaviors, whether it's the types of networks we have, how people spend time, how we talk to each other, that's actually a really good thing because it means that we can then start to attribute differences in outcomes to differences in behavior and that you can change behavior without too much difficulty. When you don't find differences in behavior, and that starts to mean that differences are due to bias. Um, and that sucks because that is really, really hard to change. So we're going to get into that um, to maybe give you some background about um, some of the, the data that we're going to be using. Um, and what we do, again, I just want to point out that when it comes to being data-driven about whether it's training programs, you know, whether it's really anything organizational from a people perspective, there's only one industry that is entirely data-driven about the people side of their business, right? And, and those are baseball teams, right? You know, for 150 years, the way you made a baseball team is you had a bunch of old guys who knew a lot about baseball, watch people play baseball, and then based on their subjective valuations, they build a team. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. That was just viewed as the best way to do things. I mean, they kept doing it that way until 2001. And then one day you get this guy, um, Billy Bean, um, or Brad Pitt, um, if you like, who said, no, we're actually going to use data, people data, to build an organization. Right? Everyone thought he was crazy. But if you follow baseball, if you saw the movie Moneyball or read the book, then you know what happens. They went on a record winning streak. They made the playoffs. And every single team builds an organization, again, using statistics about how people actually behave at work. In that case, it's the baseball field, but again, it's, it's work. Right? And, and I think it's 
when we take this perspective, again, we start to understand why a lot of this stuff fails all the time. Right? Um, again, we're going to get, we're going to spend most of this time talking about um, diversity inclusion programs and things like that. But I wanted to step back to maybe something that's even, that, that is, is very common but fails an awful lot. Right? Has anyone here been through a merger and acquisition? Here, how'd it go? How'd it go? It's still going. How, how long ago did this, did this start? Okay, so there's sort of a no comment up here. So for those of you who've been through an acquisition or a merger, um, I, and the reason I'm able to ask people is because I pretty much know it, it never goes smoothly. Right? Last year, there was over $2.3 trillion globally destroyed from failed M&A, which is crazy. Like you got smart people year after year advising the same sorts of deals and were consistently failing. Right? So, so why is that happening? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one reason is we like to focus on the formal stuff because it's easy to understand. I mean, I can point to the person at the top. I can say that's the most important person in the company. Again, on the other hand, if I ask you, you know, right, how much do two divisions communicate with each other, right? If I'm merging two companies, does one, uh, does one company include women more in meetings than the other company? Basic, basic questions, but because they can't, you can't answer them, it's very difficult to align those things before, and it causes a lot of things to fail. Right? And those things, again, that's really, really hard money. Like That's trillions of dollars that we destroy because we don't look at that stuff. Right? But the thing is, is that we can measure this now. Right? And I mentioned we have all the digital data. I mean, every one of your companies, you have email, chat, meeting data. And from that data, you can start to look at, at pretty basic things. I could look at, um, of course, I know, for example, the um, you know, amount of women that are in each division. How much does your boss communicate with them? How much is, are they invited to meetings? Right? Relative to the proportion of the population. Where are their gaps? Really basic. And you already have that. Like You could do that. What's also interesting, though, is the proliferation of sensors in the workplace. Right? And there's a lot here around things about occupancy, but there's even beyond that. There's um, you know, next generation ID badges um, that like we make, HID, Panasonic, but much folks make that has even microphones on them so they can look at who talks to who, and how people talk to each other. Not what people say, we can get into the privacy uh, aspects of that maybe some other time. But the point is we also now have this incredibly detailed view of the physical world. Right, so at this point, we've collected by far the largest data set on workplace interaction in the world. We have data on over 15 billion face-to-face -face interactions. I have even more of that and digital communications from across dozens of uh, global Fortune 1000 companies. So we have a, a lot of data to work with. Right? And now we can get at a few of the basic questions. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna skip some of this stuff because we don't have enough time. All right, so I mentioned that I don't like anecdotes, right? So we're gonna, I'm gonna take all that data and we did write some papers on this, so I'm happy to share some links with you later if you wanna dig into the methodology a little bit more. Um, but again, I mentioned that I don't like using anecdotes to make policy decisions. Right, so when it comes to um, the effect of gender at work, and I'm going to slightly oversimplify here, right? But there's there's a couple different views. So one view is um, from folks like Cheryl Sandberg who say, all right, if women just work differently, we can expect different outcomes. There's other folks like Anne-Marie Slaughter who say, no, there's just there's fundamentally you know biased against women, right? And that that's that's the issue, right? So what's what is the first thing we need to ask, right? So what's the first thing? The first thing is, are there behavioral differences between men and women at work? Right? That's the question. First question, basic. Right? So when I say behavioral differences, I'm going to look at a lot of different things. And again, you can look in the paper. 
I'm going to control for people's roles also, not control for the roles. Right? But what I'm talking about is the type of networks people have. Right? So what I mean is how cohesive is it, but also how much do people reach across different levels of the hierarchy. I'm going to look at how people spend their time in terms of focus work, 15 minutes or more of uninterrupted work. Does that look different? Many, 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 many metrics. Right? Well over you know, a couple dozen metrics. The question is, across any of them, do men and women significantly differ? All right, so we'll do a little first informal poll here. If you haven't read the, any of the papers yet, who thinks that men and women have different behaviors at work? Raise your hand. There you go. That's almost everybody, but you're all wrong. Okay. So that's so it's interesting. Just to be clear, though, we know there's differences in outcomes between men and women, right? We know men get paid more. We may, we know um, you know men get uh, promoted more quickly, right? But, but so maybe maybe on the promotion front. So it turns out we can actually predict. On promotions pretty accurately by looking at behavior, right? Uh, by and large, some of the biggest predictors of the types of networks people have. And specifically, if you have very um, diverse networks from a social perspective, so if you're talking to many different social groups that don't talk to each other in your company, you're much, much more likely to get promoted. There's a bunch of other metrics, but again, it's an uneven weighting. It's a nonlinear weighting, right? So maybe, just in the way these metrics are weighted, maybe those are different between men and women. All right, but here, let's, let's try again. We'll try another poll. So who thinks men and women differ on, on these behaviors in this way? Oh, I didn't get any takers. That's good. You, very good. Good. OK. All right. So but the, there's an issue that we, we still have not explained the differences in outcomes between men and women. We need to explain that. All right, well, you know, there's, there's one thing that women can physically do that men can't do, right? And that's, that's have kids, right? Um, now, first of all, I'm going to lead to the side the egalitarian issue of whether men and women should take off equal time. Um, some of you guys might have seen this in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was two weeks ago. Um, but uh, what we do internally, so I give men and women um, equal time off, but I force everyone to take the time off over the course of a year. Right? Um, and, and we can get into to why this is. Basically, um, in a lot of companies, they'll offer equal leave, um, but the men don't take it, or they're typically socially pressured not to take it. And then you're saying it's the woman's uh, job to take care of the kid. So we know that happens. Let's leave that to the side, right? Now, unfortunately, I don't, we don't by default collect things like maternity and paternity leave data from our customers because we're typically not like, providing that kind of a solution. Um, but there's a great study at a Stanford where they made um, one fake resume. So they made one resume. Um, and what they did is, so the resume is the same, just to be clear, except they changed the name. So it's either a man or a woman. And then in the, the cover letter, they changed whether they had kids or didn't have kids. And then what they did is they sent that resume out to tens of thousands of job openings all over the US. And the question was, who got called back for an interview? And I should mention, they followed that up with a lab study to try to get into qualitatively why people were making certain decisions. So what was interesting is, by far, the most desirable candidates were men with kids. And then when you ask people in a lab study why, they said, well, their men are going to be responsible. They're going to be working really hard to provide for the family. Now, the next most desirable candidates were single men and single women. They were statistically identical. But by far, the least desirable candidates are women with kids. Right? And when you ask people why, they're like, well, they're going to be thinking about their kids all day. Right? Well, and so, so this is the issue, right? So, so the issue is that differences in outcomes are fundamentally due to bias. And this sucks. Right? This sucks because this is not something that we can just run people through a training program, and then six months or a year later, it's going to be different. This is going to take like literally decades of effort. It's not to say you can't find pockets of certain companies you know, that, that do have really you know, big problems. 
one of our customers, I remember, we shall remain nameless, um, and one of their divisions has over 1,000 people. Women made up um, almost exactly 50% of the workforce. Um, they were invited to 5% of meetings. Managers communicated with them about 2% of the time. Right, so big disparity, you can fix those things. That'll have some impact, but again, that's not gonna have all the impact, right? If you think about the type of language we use, if you think about, I mean, I have little kids, if you think about you know, how often are the main characters in TV shows boys, you know, which toy, toys are marketed to boys and girls. Again, if you see that every single day of your life until you're 22, and then all of a sudden you enter the workforce, and you think you can flip a switch and change, you can't do that. But that means that companies need to make investments in things like what, like, you know, who's their public face, who gives talks more. Right? It's something we even look internally. I'm giving this talk now. Uh, like one of our, you know, our chief scientists and co-founder, she's a woman. You know, our chief product officer is a woman, but like they're not here giving a talk, right? So actually tracking that stuff as well is, is important, um, at least for us. But again, if you do those things, you have to do them realizing that they're not going to have an impact in the near term. Again, when we, especially in the U.S., we don't like that. Like I want to change something right now, um, but that's sort of what's necessary, right? So in any case, you know, tell you what, we've got what a couple, two minutes. So I'm just going to zip through. If you want to talk about Harry Potter and robot coffee machines at some point, I will talk about that and how that could solve all this. Um, it won't, but you know, um, it's cool to talk about anyway. Um, so I think maybe I can take one or two questions, but thanks very much for coming. Um, glad we could have a little bit of a chat. Thank you, guys. All right. All right. And if there's any questions, I'll try to quickly take it. Yeah, right here. Yep. All right, so the question is, what solutions have I seen that have actually made a difference? Um, Again, I've seen those, uh, those pockets of high disparity get addressed pretty effectively. Um, a lot of that um, has relied on really explicit, um, just different coaching programs. I can't necessarily call out one more than the other, but then also tracking the efficacy of those programs. I think one of the key things um, is, is just admitting that we don't know what's going to work. Right? So even if you can say, hey, for this part of the organization, I need to increase um, for example, like how much women are included in meetings. It's just a simple example. Well, rather than roll out one program for like three years and just assume it works, you can measure, like, did that have an effect? And you don't have to wait a year. You could, you know, maybe give it a month to take an effect, but then if it didn't work, that's okay. Try something else, right? And I think that's sort of what's critical, is just admitting we don't really know what's going to work and then trying things for those pockets. For the bigger things, it's the data on them is unclear, right? Like even us, like starting to internally track like what percent of the time of like our public um, statements come from men versus women. That's an, it's an assumption that by changing that or making it more 50-50 that that will have an impact. It's unclear. I mean, it should, but it's, it will literally take us decades to show that effect, which again, it sucks. It totally does. I wish I had a more positive message about this. Yeah, question right there. The, the most interesting thing I've learned from the data, um, it might be a little bit farther afield from, from this. Um, uh, one thing I learned is that the location of the coffee machine matters a lot. Uh, the, the location of the coffee machine predicts about 20% of communication, which just to be clear is about as much as the org chart. Right? So it's a, actually in our office here, our, our headquarters here in Boston, we actually move the coffee machine around. We have one of our coffee machines on wheels. Um, we can talk about that, but it's, um, there's a bunch of other things that are more powerful and have harder ROI worth like a lot of money, but I like those sort of examples more. Uh, so I'm sorry everyone, we out of time. I might be able to hang around for a few minutes. Um, I'll put up the last screen again.
maybe. We'll see. Hold on. But um, in any case, thanks so much for coming by. I'll try to hang out um, for, for a few minutes, and then I've got to run to another, another meeting. But again, thanks everyone for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or a point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org forward slash podcast.